Cool. Welcome, everybody. Um, those of you that don't know me, my name's Aaron. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. Uh, just a real honor, of course, to be here and be connected with you on this great summer day. Those of you who uh, managed to stay around and not sneak away off to the cottage or be doing stuff like that, it's just really good to really good to have you here. We're in the middle of a series on the book of Acts, uh, and we're just sort of slowly marching through. We're actually been several weeks now, we're on uh, chapter two right now, partway through chapter two, so it's just been taking little chunks of this, uh, this story. And right now we're in the middle of Peter's sermon, Peter's famous sort of first evangelistic sermon, the one where you've heard about in scriptures where 3,000 were added to uh, the number on that, on that day. So that's a pretty good one. I've never had that happen uh, any Sunday I've preached yet, but uh, Peter, Peter's, you know, he was close to Jesus. He, was, he really had it. But anyway, they were all in the upper room. Pentecost had just happened. Uh, and b- saying Pentecost, just to give context for it, this is background for those of you that have been here in the past weeks, uh, you'll be familiar with this, but people were there visiting Jerusalem from all over the Roman world uh, to celebrate this. And, and it wasn't just any old person that was coming to Jerusalem to celebrate. Typically Jewish communities in that time would sort of designate a rabbi or a leader or a well-read or well-educated person and send them back to Jerusalem as a delegate to share in this sort of common experience that the Jewish nation was experiencing uh, together in terms of that particular feast. But in that moment, of course, it was just a short period of time after Jesus uh, had been crucified and then ultimately uh, resurrected and then 40 days of wandering around uh, connecting with people after that and he ascended to heaven and then of course Pentecost came right in the middle of this thing where they were all gathered in the upper room and tongues of fire sort of came and hovered over them and wind came in the room like a mighty uh, rushing wind. The spirit was present and and connected with them and it was right after that moment they all tumble out onto the streets excited about what God has done they're all speaking in other tongues uh, in a way that people from all over the Roman world are hearing uh, God speak to them or hearing the Jesus story in their own language this incredible dissemination of the story of God coming to people from all nations and ultimately Peter sort of stands up because people are saying what's going on here is Are people drunk? What's happening? This is just so weird. And Peter stands up and says, hey, let me just explain this to you. Let me unpack for you what's going on. And we talked last week about the sort of way that Peter sort of kind of winsomely earned the right to speak and to share the Jesus story and how he unpacked, you know, the basic elements of the Christian story, the life of Jesus, what he lived like, what that meant, uh, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, And ultimately, Jesus' victory over death uh, through his resurrection. We talked last week about how critical it is to sort of have those key elements as part of our story when we're out in the world living, connecting with our friends, and we're telling the Jesus story. I mean, that's just the story we're telling. And, And we're telling it to a culture that simply doesn't know the outline, that doesn't know the story of Jesus for the most part anymore. They're thousands and thousands and thousands of people in this area who might not even know that Jesus was an actual person, not just a mythological figure uh, who lived and walked on the earth. They might think of the cross as a weird religious symbol that Christians adopted from paganism. They might think of the resurrection as a fairy tale. They might not know that these are things that uh, actually happened, that, you know, that scholars uh, would, would say unanimously Jesus wasn't 
a mythical figure. He was a character who actually lived. Uh, and that somehow his life impacted the world in a way that is just astounding. In a way that we feel uh, his life even now in so many things that we see in our culture. And ultimately that whatever it was that happened had to be big enough uh, to do that. And for us, we know that that event that absolutely shook the foundations of the world was the resurrection of Jesus and his ultimate victory over death. And so uh, Peter sort of outlines all of this to this Jewish crowd that's there in that space. And he starts in on something about David and the kingdom of David. And, and, and as we look at it, we're kind of wondering, well, why did he tell that part of the story? Why does he all of a sudden go into this thing about David's kingdom? That was like thousands of years ago. What's the connection here? And it's really that next passage that we want to unpack. The challenge with that particular text is that who uh, Peter was talking to, as we said, were all people that really, really knew uh, the Jewish scriptures. People that knew it well, like their eyesight was good. When, when Peter was talking and reading all of these things, they got it. I had an experience just last night where, you know, my eyesight wasn't so good. Um, Walmart best Walmart story. It was a really good time last night. I was, uh, was walking out of the store. I'd gone to pick up a few things. And, uh, and everybody was sort of trying to come out the cash at the same time. There was kind of a little blockage at the door. And I uh, just sort of looking at people. I don't know why I was looking at people in the store. Like, here, here are all you people, nice people. We're all sort of stuck here waiting for this person to get through the door. And I just watched the lady in front of me with her cart. A uh, bag sort of topples over. And stuff falls out of the bag. And being the just generous and servant-hearted, chivalrous man that I am, I just rush into that moment with all these people stepping around. And I reach down, and as my hand closes on these items to hand them to the woman, I realize that it's about three pairs of her double Ds. <laughs> and I'm standing there with like 30 people watching me, holding this woman's brassiers. <laughs> It was one of those awesome uh, moments. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it was really, really great, great moments. But the problem was my eyesight, you know, like, Anna's been bugging me forever to go get my eyes checked because I can sort of see you guys back there and I can sort of see my notes, but things in between are a little fuzzy and if my glasses had been good. You know, so this is one of those sort of texts where, you know, it looks a little fuzzy until you dig into it and get close. So... Just so you know, I don't know, it's just an excuse to tell that story on myself, but um, yeah, so that was, you know, the, the one guy, one guy standing beside me was like, what are you going to do now, bud? <laughs> like, oh man, I'm like, here you go, ma'am, I don't know how to get out of this. God bless you, here's your underwear. And I just walked out the door. <laughs> so, yeah, just one of those. Bless you in Jesus' name. So, yeah, anyway, that was the... Uh, that was good times. Uh, so let's read the text and we'll try to get a chance to zoom in on it so we can understand what in the world uh, Peter's talking about here. Uh, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. And what uh, Peter's quoting there is Psalm 16. 
uh, verses 8 to 11. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is there to this day, here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke about the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And this is uh, uh, pointing to something else that happened in Matthew chapter 22, 44, and Psalm uh, 110 is what's actually being quoted there. Therefore, let all Israel be sure of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. So why were the people cut to the heart by some odd quotes from the Psalms? And this strange connection between Jesus and David. Um, What we have to understand about the context there is that with people gathered from all over the Roman world, in particular gathered in this place called Jerusalem in that time and space, is that they were people who were desperate to see a change in the way the world was run. They were desperate to see uh, leadership that would lead in a different way. They were desperate to see the oppression of Rome broken. They were desperate to be set free to govern themselves and rule themselves. They were longing for deliverance from oppression by God's appointed leader, as we in Ontario experienced recently. Um, So think about some of the angst that, that we felt in this election. We saw it in the poll numbers. Uh, The government that was in power uh, really only got 18% of the vote going forward. The rest, uh, we were looking at candidates and trying to choose who to vote for and arguing and electioneering and debating and all of this incredible uh, sort of stuff going on in our culture. Really in a democratic society where we're all relatively wealthy, relatively doing okay. But in that space that, you know, we, we feel this little bit of angst over... Uh, who might be a good leader for us as uh, in the provincial legislature. But just imagine what the people felt like in that time. Their leader was the emperor of Rome. Their leader were the high priests. Uh, Their leaders were sects of uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And people who were really distant and disconnected from who they were as people, not sharing in the common life that they had. And so it's into that sort of sense of of angst and that sort of sense of pain. And what we see in the people of Israel, of course, is this incredible longing for Messiah. This incredible longing for somebody who will be both a savior and a leader. Right? Someone who will be a deliverer, who will break the oppression. Uh, Many of us feel that, that there's, there's oppression that we feel, and some of that oppression is our own sin, and that oppression is our addictions, that oppression is uh, our own brokenness, and really to be able to have someone in our lives who will help us make decisions 
that uh, lead us to goodness, that lead us to prosperity, that lead us to health. And when you would say to that Jewish nation, to those people in that time, what is that picture for you of an ideal leader? What is that picture for you of an ideal kingdom, a, a golden age? They would all immediately look back to David. They would look back to this, this young man who, when he was anointed, it was prophesied over David in 2 Samuel chapter 8, or 1 Samuel chapter 8, that this is the boy who would ultimately, out of the stump of Jesse, out of the root of this community, would come someone who would sit on the throne of Israel forever and ever and ever and ever. And we see that echoed through uh, Jesus' birth. We see that in the Mary story. We see this longing for the reestablishment of David's throne. And so that's what we're seeing in the heart uh, of this passage, is seeing it through the lens of David. And of course, what we look to as we see it is we see the fulfillment of Jesus as the final David, as that final king. And why that's relevant to us as people is is. And why that was relevant to those people in that space and time is what's really important. So let's just now unpack the text through that lens, through, through that viewpoint, through those glasses. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. This is David now speaking in Psalm chapter 16, and, and Peter is quoting it to the crowd. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay that there's something in us and there was something in David and there's something in the heart of the Jewish nation to see a state of goodness that just wouldn't change how many of us wrestle with that sense that even when we have these these moments where we feel like we've got life together we feel like we've got uh, you know all our ducks in a row we feel like we've you know we're doing kind of well at work or our health is good or or whatever it is that that we've sort of come through in terms of a battle in terms of a struggle and we arrive at a place where it feels like you know there are good things coming there's something about us that wants to just freeze that moment in time there's something about us that wants to just make it permanent like make it stay forever and what David is doing he's connecting with this prophecy that was spoken over him and and he's saying there's there here I am this king here I am this person who's ultimately going to lead but there's a way in which I get to be part of something that ultimately is just going to last and David knew like we know who David was we know the story of Bathsheba and the battles and Absalom's rebellion and getting kicked out of Jerusalem this incredible tumultuous sort of time and life that David experienced but even in his heart uh, and, and even in the way the people of Israel viewed him and viewed that time there's something about that story that journey that that struggle that was in his life that was just a longing for more and a longing for eternity and that's something we can connect with and as we share the gospel as we share the Jesus story with people what we're really trying to do is we're trying to connect people with this idea that there is something good and that there is something permanent there's something that is ultimately going to last forever that they're going to be able to connect with and he goes on Peter continues to preach he's unpacked this uh, Psalm 16 passage for people and he says this he says fellow Israelites I tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried for David that sense of permanence didn't happen for us that sense of permanence still feels like it can be shaken 
He was buried. His tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath. And he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Peter is pointing to this hope deep in the heart of the people that says that God is ultimately going to fix this and it's finally going to stay fixed. And it's not just fixing it. It's not just a state of unbrokenness. But as they looked to David's reign, they saw in their mind's eye the glory of Solomon's reign that followed it, the incredible wealth. And I'm not going to take the time to do it, but to just read the stories of the wealth of Solomon and that sense that out of David, out of his life, out of him preparing the city Jerusalem, ultimately for the coming of the temple, the presence of God on earth, and, and all that happened out of Solomon's reign, uh, that there was a, a way in which that there was something blissful and awesome that was going to happen. There's a longing for heaven in us that's just like that. There's a longing for a time and a space when the people that we love won't experience uh, sickness and injury and pain and death. And what he's saying is that that descendant of David is now seated on the throne in Christ. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. And we don't know what that would have been like for David, whether he could see in his mind's eye an image of that ultimate Messiah figure or whether he was kind of a prophet used unwittingly, but uh, he spoke of the resurrection of Jesus, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Now imagine what that was like for those people who had heard the stories of David, heard the stories of Solomon, heard the stories of the kingdom, and were, were experiencing this oppression, this sense of death, and Rome killing people, and people being crucified, and whipped, and beaten, the incredible sort of darkness of that impression, and all of a sudden, this one person sort of arrives on the planet, uh, is called ultimately the Son of God, is doing these incredible miracles, healing the sick, casting out demons, uh, raising the dead, uh, is crucified, but ultimately raises to life. They ultimately witness uh, the defeat of death. They saw it with their own eyes. This person that they gathered around this hill and literally watched the life drain out of him. He came out and ate fish with them a few days later. So there's this bubbling hope inside of them, like something amazing is happening. And we see that Jesus becomes this permanent extension of, of David's kingdom, that death is defeated. Now we have this idea of permanence, this idea of forever, and all of a sudden we can have a leader that might not croak. Right? We can have a state of well-being that might just last forever. He goes on, he says this, he says, exalted at the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you now see in here. So not only was this a historical event, but all of these people wandering about speaking in tongues, uh, telling the Jesus story in languages that they didn't know before they opened their mouths, and everybody's understanding it. It's a sign that the Holy Spirit has come, that, that there's an establishment of the kingdom that has had immediate effect and immediately spreads uh, from that one person, Jesus, to his disciples. Because all of a sudden you have a group of people who are empowered. We see in that the kingdom of God, the rulership of God, the leadership of God, 
uh, that transfer of authority, that transfer of a power from person to person in an incredibly tangible way. It's not just David's kingdom, it's the kingdom of God poured out in his people through the Holy Spirit. The kingdom got out of the box. Right? It got out of the box. It's touching everybody now. All these people are declaring the glory of God. It says this, uh, he goes on, he says, For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And when he, when he quotes this, we will remember that Jesus actually quoted this passage in Matthew chapter 22. Remember when the Pharisees are gathered together in Matthew 22, Jesus asks them. He's sort of challenging them. He's poking them. He's kind of he's messing with their heads. And he says this, he says, um, so what, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. They immediately know that this is, that, that the Messiah has to be David's son. Has to be an extension of the Davidic kingdom, right? That's what Messiah is all about. So Jesus said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord. And he quotes Psalm 110. He said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So how is David, both the king of Israel, and how is he recognizing the Messiah as his Lord? How does that work? The only way that works is by the resurrection, by someone who's eternal, who goes back in time, literally existing in the eternal, is born to be also the king of David and also an extension of his line. So we understand that Jesus, seated at the right hand of God, is now the king of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and of David and of Solomon and of every king, that Jesus' kingdom goes not only forwards but goes backwards forever and ever, that the kingdom of Jesus is supreme, it's over everything. Jesus is the king. And then he says this, he says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And that's the phrase that cuts them to the heart. And that's what we have to unpack to really understand this. And, and the only way to really understand it is to understand it in Yoda speak, in the, in the order of the way that the, the Greek language is constructed, to understand uh, how that went. So this is the phrase that, that Peter would have uttered as, as best as I can put it in the order that it would have come in the original Greek. He says this, he says, let all the house of Israel. So what he's saying is let all the family of Israel let all of the people who would consider themselves within the walls of this community, uh, whether they're scattered uh, to the Roman world, whether they're scattered uh, where Persia was, whether they're scattered to Asia, wherever they are, let everyone who is a part of the house of Israel, the oikos of Israel, know. And this word know is important. That word uh, genosko is the same word that the angel used and that Mary used when they were talking about the birth of Jesus. How can I uh, have a child for I have not known a man? It's a deep and intimate personal knowing. 
Let the whole house of Israel have a, a deep and intimate personal knowing that can be uh, equated with uh, the intimacy of sexuality even. Let all of Israel know in the deepest part of them. For your Lord and your Messiah, your Kyrios, that's like ultimate ruler. That's just a word for leader that is, is bigger than the word king. It's a word that says ultimate authority, your ultimate authority, and your Messiah, the one who is to deliver you. So your leader and deliverer, those two ideas that we've been bouncing back and forth. Jesus leads us and he delivers us. He sets us free from our stuff, and then he helps us make our decisions moving forward. For your Lord and your Messiah, that person, God has made this Jesus. And what's fascinating there is that word made. That word made there is, is Dan Burt. That word made there is what is used when Dan Burt builds a building. Or when Kyle uh, feeds electrical through a building. It's a, it's a trade word. It's a construction word. It's not the creator word that's often used for what God did. It's, it's a word that is sort of unusual in this context. But it's a word that means, uh, I built it. I made this Jesus. I built him. I carpentered him into your Lord and Messiah. I carpentered this Jesus whom you crucified. And the image of wood and nails is in both parts of that statement. It's unbelievable. I built him. I made him into this king of Israel that would last forever. He is the one who flows from me. He is me. He is that one. And you made him onto a cross. You carpentered him onto a cross. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And that's what ought to cut us to the heart. He has made for us a leader. He has made for us a deliverer. And time and time again, in our hearts, we've crucified him. We've made him into a crucified one. And that's what cuts me to the heart in this passage. And in that moment, they heard that. They were cut to the heart and they said, what must we do? As the passage goes on, he says, just repent and turn and be saved. And that's the journey that we have to go on as Christians. And that's the journey that we call others to, is going from crucifiers to ones who receive the incredible gift of the one who is made to be, in a very tangible way, our leader and deliverer. It's, it's a binary, it's a toggle. Who will Jesus be to you? Will he be your leader? Or will he be one you crucify? Will he be your Messiah, the one who saves you? Or will he be one you crucify? It's a fairly serious decision for us. And so we wrestle with that. 
And, and the question for us is, how do we bring that sense of choice? How do we bring that sense of, of this is something that we as humans have to grapple with to our friends? How do we bring that sense of choice into our lives? And I just feel the weight in the room hanging as we wrestle with that. And I don't feel any reason to resolve it and send you out and send us out with a happy, slappy smile. This is a question that we have to grapple with in every moment of our lives, every day. Will we put Jesus to death in our lives or will we let him lead us? Will we let him set us free? I think that letting him lead us and letting him set us free, that's probably the better choice. Let's stand up. Lord, this text uh, that, that Peter just absolutely went for the throat with those people back then, uh, it, it, and it cut them to the heart. We, we just want to allow it to cut us to the heart. We know, each one of us, that there are areas in our lives where uh, we can either choose to let you live through us, to lead us, to actually help us make our decisions, to actually set us free from our addictions and our habits and our brokenness. Or in those areas, we, we're just putting you to death again. We know we want the former. Jesus, would you lead us? Don't let us push you aside, push you at bay, put you in the back of our minds as someone who's uh, maybe a religious figure in the past, but who's not important to us now. You are alive. You have risen. You have conquered death. And we don't take this idea of our service to you lightly. You can lead us. You can be our Lord. And you can be our Messiah. We need you. Come lead us, Lord. Come set us free. Break down our walls. Let your word transform us. Help us know, as the uh, people who heard Peter's amazing sermon did, that the only option for us is to let you be established as our king. I feel like there's some in here who have uh, maybe drifted, who faith for you has just been gone to the back burner and, and the Lord is just calling you to a new intimacy.
just feel like saying to you that he, he, he's so full of love, that his leadership is so gentle and so kind. There's fear in, in some of us about what that would mean to really let him lead. There's fear of pain uh, in letting him actually touch our addictions, touch our broken patterns, and healing us. But he's so loving, he's so gentle, he's so capable that, that there's only joy for you. Just give us the grace to choose you, Jesus. can't turn off the spout. It seems like the Holy Spirit, it feels like the Holy Spirit's still working in our hearts. Let's just give a few more moments of silence. I think for someone here, some of us, this idea of, of just being set free um, just brings fresh hope. Like there's patterns there that have just been so long, there have been so many times of uh, sort of trying to turn back to God and then just sort of drifting away. And there's been repeated patterns of following Jesus and turning away and following Jesus and turning away. And he just says, turn to me again. can deliver you. Some for whom faith has been just intellectual. It hasn't been about that knowing, about that intimacy. And he just says he wants that intimacy with you.
love your presence, Lord. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you.